the Lord is good. And all the time. Amen. Amen. He is good. I'm excited to bring this word today, but I want to open in a word of prayer because I really believe that this is a word that is um, from the Lord. And what did I tell you, Jeremy, when I was giving you my pre-sermon this week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I wasn't talking about you, though. I was talking, I, what did I, I said, this word, way to steal the glory. No. <laughs> All the wisdoms. This word is fresh from the oven. He thought that was a funny analogy, but um, what I, so funny that he forgot it, but that's okay. You missed your cue, but that's okay. This is, this is straight from, from, from the oven, and what I mean by that is like fresh manna. It, this word, I've never preached this word before. Um, I don't know if I've ever preached this passage before, and so I really believe that this is in season and on time for us today, but in order to receive the word, I really believe that our hearts have to be ready for it. You know, we have to want to receive it. And I'm telling you, the enemy likes to attack, even on our way to church. Can someone say amen? The Starbucks line was extra long today. <laughs> I said, I am going to be late to church. My husband's going to be spying online like, where is my wife at? Starbucks line. Oh, Lord have mercy. But seriously, it, it seems like there's always something that wants to get in our way of receiving from God. And life is just hard. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to soften our hearts and help us have ears that hear, right? Jesus said, let them have ears that hear. So Heavenly Father, I just thank you for how good you are. God, I thank you that we can have fun um, in the house of God. I thank you that, that we're family in this place, that we can joke around with one another and have fun. But God, I pray that you would also help us not take for granted that your presence is here. Help us not take for granted that your word brings life. God, let us not take for granted, Lord Jesus, that you are still God. And that you are the same God that we read about in the Bible. Though we don't understand your ways, we choose to submit to you, the one who is, who was, and is to come. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us hearts that are moldable, that are teachable, that are ready to receive your word. God, I thank you that your word is useful for correction, for teaching, for rebuking, for reproofing. That the man of God, that the woman of God may be fit for your service, Lord Jesus. For every good work of righteousness. God, we know on our own, we are nothing but Jesus through the blood that you shed on that cross we have redemption. Through your blood, Jesus, we have been atoned for. God, I pray through your blood that you would remind us that we can have relationship again with Heavenly Father. And God, I pray today that you truly would unplug our ears, that we would hear your word, that you would sanctify us, that you would set us apart, that you would make us holy, for you are holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, this word is called the trouble with sin. Oh, the trouble with sin. Look to your neighbor and say the trouble with sin. Mm -hmm. So I was inspired by this word in my theology class this week. We were talking about the theology of sin it has actually a big fancy word that that is the theology of, of sin. Um, it's 
the Greek word for sin, I'm going to spell it for you because I, I can't remember how to say it. So it's H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. But that means missing the mark or falling short. And the Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what really inspired me for this message this week, because this passage wasn't talked about, but what inspired me is we had a little discussion post. And one of the questions in the discussion post said, in your experience, do you feel that sin was emphasized too little or too much? And I thought about that. And I have a different perspective than most people in my class because, well, I'm not 20. <laughs> I know, I know. You guys didn't know that. But, and, and, and it's fun because, I, you know, our professor, he's in his 60s, maybe 70 even. He's an awesome man of God. And so I have a different perspective than him, too, because, well, I'm not 70. But what's interesting is to hear the different perspectives of different generations on was sin emphasized too much or too little in your experience? And I started thinking about my own experience and how I really, really, although I grew up going to church back and forth with my aunts and uncles and with my, my grandparents um, until my, my teenage years when my parents came to church and went back to church. And um, that's their story. You have to ask them about that. It's interesting. But uh, God works in mysterious ways. However, I really consider myself truly, truly being saved when I was about 18, 19 years old because that's when I stopped Sitting, uh, straddling the fence, if you will. That's when I stopped having one foot in the world and one foot in the church. One foot wanting to do everything worldly and one foot trying to be a God girl. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's when I decided, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all the way. And in that season, when I found my home church, I was actually praying and fasting. I was pumping gas at a gas station, no lie. And I was praying and fasting, first time in my life, 19 years old, praying and fasting. And I looked over as I was pumping gas. I said, is that a church across the street from this gas station, which is around the corner from my house? I said, hmm, I'm going to go check it out. And, and um, through entering into that church and um, having a relationship with God and the people who poured into my life, I really began to mature in the Lord. And it was what I would consider revival period. The late 90s, there was a lot. And it wasn't what was interesting, and I think as um, – time progresses if, if the Lord tarries, I think historians will look back and believe that the late 90s was, was one of the, uh, was, was a revival period. We saw a Brownsville revival in Florida. If you haven't heard about that revival, look it up. Pretty awesome. Um, there was a Toronto revival in Canada. Um, and it was just, there was revival movements all around everywhere. There was a whole bunch of us young adults. It reminds me of, of you guys. And uh, we just like, we were about that life. We were sold out for God. Most of us were what we would have considered that time first generation Christians. Um, we weren't forced to go to church by our parents. We were, we were going because we wanted God. And there was an emphasis in the church against sin. There was an emphasis of living a holy life. And I'm so grateful that when my foundational, formational, if you will, years of growing and maturing, I had preachers and pastors and leaders and elders in the church that preached against sin. Because what I see and what I have seen in the last decade and a half, really the last 15 years especially, is that church has become 
the preaching of the church has become a motivational speech. Just a little longer than a TED talk, really, of how to live your best life instead of how to die to yourself and let Christ's life live in you. And I have a, I have a holy fear, if you will, that there is going to be the upcoming generation who is not going to know the crucified life and not going to know the power that sin can have over you if you do not apply the blood of Jesus and really, truly give him everything. But it was also interesting because that was my perspective. And one of my classmates who did not grow up first-generation Christian, who grew up going to church their whole life, had a different perspective on things. And, and what they had mentioned really um, spoke to me because then I looked at my because really they're my kids' age, a little bit older, some of them. And what they spoke to me was um, that they were glad that they were taught grace, that they were taught that they did not have to be perfect. And I started thinking of some of my own children who have told me going to Christian schools and, and growing up in church and never missing a Sunday that they, there was this emphasis that they felt like they always had to be perfect and that they never could. And, and, and so I'm like, where is this balance, if you will, of we need to preach against sin because sin, will, sin is trouble and it will keep you from the presence of God. But yet we need to remind people that there's a grace of God that because we will miss the mark. Because I'm looking out here and, and looking at myself this morning when I did my hair. And none of us are Jesus. We're all going to miss the mark. So there needs to be a balance. Because what happens is sometimes we get off-centered, if you will. And, and you'll, we saw what happened from that late 90s revival. And some people got into legalism. And they called things that, were sin, that, that weren't sin, that were man-made traditions, sin. Like not eating Lucky Charms and stupid stuff like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if you watched a certain, you know, cartoon or whatever that you were going to burn in hell. And just, just really, they, really things that was like, come on, we're, you're going a little, you're going a little, let's stick to the main, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Yet, then from that, we see this de deconstruction theology that has come through the church. And now you have young adults who grew up in the presence of God and knowing Jesus falling away because of church hurt and church abuse. And we got to come back to the simplicity of the gospel. And that's why I believe we need to teach about sin and the church, but from a, a perspective of atonement as well. As a, from a perspective of, yes, you're going to sin. You're going to miss the mark even after you get saved. And you're never going to be perfect. But we serve a perfect God, a perfect Savior who can forgive us, who can empower us to do better next time. However, today, I believe that we need to focus on sin in our camp, sin in our body, Sin in the church. There's a scripture in 1 Peter 4, 17. It says, for the time of judgment to, for this is the time of judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? I think what happens too in the church is we get so focused on the sin of the world. I do not expect worldly people to be sanctified. And if you do, you have 
a really false narrative in your mind and a false expectation of something that will not happen because guess what? Worldly people are going to be worldly people. They're not going to have your values. They're not going to have your views. They're not going to have your moral compass because they do not know Jesus. So stop expecting the world to, to be anything other than what it is. However, Take that same passion and look inward and say, God, judgment starts in the house of God. Let me be like David. Check my own heart. Search my own heart. Show me anything that is keeping me from you. And too often we get focused on out there that we forget to look in here. You know what I'm saying? And so the Lord brought me to a passage, which is all God. Like I said, in 20 plus years of preaching, I've never, that I can recall, preached on Joshua chapter 7. We're going to go there today. And we're going to be all over this chapter, but for this first part, I am going to read a couple chunks right here. I'm going to start in verse 10. I want you to follow me because I'm telling you, friends, there's a lot of depth in this. This is the sin of Achan. We're going to, we're going to start in verse 10. I almost call this, are you bacon or some Achan? But <laughs> my corny self is getting cornier. I'm turning into my father the older I get. It's really bad. Um, Except for I always give my dad a courtesy, a courtesy laugh. Where was my courtesy laugh there, Dad? Are you aching for some bacon? Okay. We don't want to because aching was not a good example. Here we go in verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? You know, sometimes we are praying for things and God is saying, get up. It's time to do something about it. So here's Joshua. He's praying. He's on his face, praying before the Lord. And the Lord says this, Israel has sinned and they have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs, bef they turn their backs before their enemies because... They have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clans that the Lord takes shall come near by household, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done outrageous things in Israel. Transgression is another word that means sinned, broke, broke the law of God. And I think, you know, when we read this in, from a Western culture, we might think, wow, this is a little dramatic. You know, God already knew exactly who it was that, that, that stolen the, the devoted things, or in our translation says, accursed things. However, I believe God did this in this way on purpose. And I'm going to tell you why as we, as we read on. In verse 16, it says, So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought 
near the clans of Judah and the clan of Zerahites was taken. Zerahites. And he brought them near the clan, household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebdi, son of Son, give glory. Or Hold on, I'm sorry. I think I need reading glasses already, guys. Um, son of Zariah, the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me, jo and tell me Joshua, truly, or tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Shina, Shinar, maybe, some translations say Babylon, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Okay, we're going to break down this passage and we're going to bring in some other things too. But today I want to tell you one thing as we start. You know that this man's name literally means trouble. Achan's name means trouble. Some, some people, uh, some translations um, have said it means troubler. So not just trouble for him, but can you imagine naming your child trouble <laughs> or troubler? Um, hmm, interesting. <laughs> Maybe at two, but as a baby, you know, like that's kind of a, that's a harsh name here. So Achan's name means trouble. And today we're going to learn four secrets concerning the trouble of sin. Because so often we sugarcoat sin so much that we don't really realize the trouble of sin. So we're going to talk about secrets of the trouble of sin. You ready? Number one, sin arrives at the door after victory. The Bible says that sin is that the enemy looks for an opportune time, okay? So I'll give you a little bit of background here. So we're reading Joshua chapter 7. But Joshua chapter 6, what happened was the, the great battle of Jericho. Some of you guys, even if you went to Sunday school class as a kid, you might have heard how they marched around the walls of Jericho seven times and the walls came down and that they completely defeated uh, the city of Jericho, which was a which was a big city. I mean, and Joshua said, if anyone ever builds these walls, they would be cursed, right? And then there was given instructions to the people to not take anything from the city. Matter of fact, only one person lived and was Rahab the harlot because she hid the spies and kept the spies uh, safe. And so that city was com completely destroyed except for Rahab. And if you look about and read about Rahab, she was actually in the, in, um, the genealogy of, of Christ. She was a great, great ancestor of Christ. So pretty cool. And of King David. However, that city was destroyed and instructions were given to not take any of the materials, any of the goods. And if everything should be destroyed and silver and gold, things like that need to go to the treasury of God. Well, we see that the Achan didn't quite listen. What is interesting about this is all the way through the book of Joshua, they had victory after victory. And then they get to Joshua chapter 7, and they're going to a small town after they went to Jericho. They go to a small town. Some people pronounce it A-I. Some pe people just pronounce it I, but it's literally spelled A-I. And they go to this small town, and Joshua says, you know, just take a few spies um, to go see, and the spies come back, and they say, you know what, this town is small compared to all the other battles we've had. 
Um, I, you know, we don't even have to send a whole army. Let's just send, you know, a few thousand men. And so they send about 3,000 men, and they, and they go to, to fight this um, battle, and they get their butts handed to them. <laughs> they lose. A battle, a small town compared to Jericho and some of these other uh, great victories. And so Joshua falls on his face, and he's like, what is going on? And God's like, stop praying. I'm telling you, there's sin in your camp. You want to know why you don't have victory in your life? You want to know why, why things aren't going well at your job, why your children are suffering, why your marriage is suffering? There's sin in your camp. And so we, we, how we pray away sin is we confess and we repent. That's how we pray away sin. We don't just sit there and do nothing. So this is the thing that, that we have to realize, though. After victory, sin is there again. So often we get comfortable and we think we're doing okay, and we don't realize sin's right there knocking at the door, knocking at the door, looking for an opportune time. The Bible actually says in, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. In Genesis 4, 7, this was about the, the account of Cain and Abel. In Genesis 4, 7, it says, if you do what is right, this is God speaking, and Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is doing what? Crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. This is not even Jesus speaking. This is God the Father saying, sin is crouching at your door. If you want to do right, you have to rule over it. Friends, after victory, we sometimes get lazy. <laughs> we get complacent. I, I'm telling you, for, for pastors, I, I'm a friend of pastors. I have a lot of pastor friends. I worked, um, you know, as a, uh, as an assistant presbyter for a, a couple years. I've been able to minister to pastors, and Mondays are the worst day for most pastors because sin is sin. They're knocking at their door, and, and, and everybody, even the people preaching behind the pulpit or a little clear, cool table like this, they need accountability because sin is crouching at every single person's door. The most holiest person you know, sin is crouching at their door. Sin is looking to take you out, and we have to be on guard, especially after our mountaintop experience. Look at Elijah. After he took out the 450 prophets of Baal, what happened? Sin was crouching at his door. Look at David. After defeating so many of the Lord's enemy. He takes a break, and he's chilling at the palace on the rooftop looking at a naked woman. Sin was crouching at his door. We see it over and after Peter says, I will never leave you. Sin was crouching at his door. We have to be careful to be aware of the enemy's schemes because sin is crouching at every single one of our doors. And there's different sins that, that we give into that maybe someone else doesn't give into. Maybe you could look at someone and say, I don't understand why they keep doing that. That's just, why can't they get master over that? Well, what is it that you can't get master over, right? What is it that you give into when you're at your weak moment or after a victory in your life? Because sin is crouching at our door. And if we do not learn to rule over it, it will rule over us. Sin is always looking for an opportune time, so we must be on guard. Achan was not on guard, and guess what? Sin destroyed him and affected other people too. So 
A secret of sin is it's always, it always oftentimes arrives after victory. Sometimes we think of sin of only being there at our weakest moments, but we don't realize sometimes at our highest moments, sin is there too. That's when it arrives. So just be aware of that. I think sometimes we are aware that, that sin is there when, when we're weak, but we're not aware that even after victory, sins are, that's when it likes to arrive, okay? So this is why it's a secret of this trouble of sin. Another thing that we may not realize is sin is attractive. Say attractive. Sin looks good. The Bible says that the, that the enemy comes as an angel of light. He's not in the red suit with the horns and the, and the pitchfork. Like, we want to think that's what the enemy looks like. But oftentimes the enemy comes as an angel of light, and oftentimes sin is dressed up with a nice bow on it. It's not the snake in the garden, although the snake in the garden of Eden was, uh, the you know, most scholars believe that was Lucifer, that was the enemy. However, it was the shiny fruit, whether it's an apple or a chocolate tree, like I believe. <laughs> we don't know, but it looked good. It looked good to her eyes. Isn't that what the scripture says? It looked good. And that was, that temptation looks good, friends. It, it, it's the sin that so easily entangles. That's what the Bible says. It looks good. This is what Aiken said. I wrote this, uh, we already read it, but I'm going to read it again because I wrote it in bigger print here. and Maybe I won't stutter over it as much here. Okay, it says, truly, this is Aiken, I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. 21, when, uh, what I did, did I mess this up? Uh, 21, when I saw the spoils of the beautiful, okay, so this is what he took. He took a beautiful cloak. Some translations say from Babylon, that I think it's a city in Babylon. 20, uh, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. He took something that looked good, right? It was attractive. This is, this is a saying that if you, if you, tell me if you ever heard the saying as a quote. I, I want you to like give me a hand raise or a nod or something. If you've heard this, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. You've heard that, right? Do you know that the, the, the pastor, you can see the name up there, who made this saying was taken further than he wanted to go with sin, kept him longer than he, what he wanted to stay, and cost him more than he wanted to pay. Although his sin really didn't come out until after he was already dead, it ruined his reputation. And I just find it interesting, and this is no judgment on him, because what I have realized in my middle age lifetime already that there has been so many of my own mentors, so many people that I've respected, married 40 years, going, going through a divorce, people, people who got saved the same time as me, had more gifting, more on fire, not serving the Lord now. What I have realized is it can happen to anyone, including me, including you. It's the moment you think, oh, no, 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 that's them, that, I, that would never be me. You are being foolish because sin is attractive. And it will get you when you're not looking, when you're not paying attention, when you're not aware. And it will take you further than you want to go. And it will keep you longer than you want to be there. And it will cost you more than you want to give. And we have to realize those things in our life that I like to call our pet sins. Those things that make us feel better for a moment and maybe nobody else even knows about. They make us, there are habits maybe that we go back to when we're having a bad day that we know is not God's will for our life. That maybe 
even takes us into deep places of depression and discouragement that we don't even realize. And we got to be careful because sin looks good and it is enticing, but it will destroy you. It will destroy you. It was enticing to Achan, but guess what? It destroyed him. So sin arrives after victory. Sin is attractive, and guess what? Sin is also accursed. In Joshua 7, 1, I didn't read that part of the passage, so you go back and read a lot of it. But it says, I'll read this part. It says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, son of Carmi and all his dads before him, from the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now, some people might think to themselves, I mean, what's really wrong with, like, soldiers have always taken spoils from battle, right? Like, what's really wrong with this? Well, as I said earlier in Joshua chapter 6, the Lord gave Joshua clear instruction, and Joshua gave the soldiers clear instructions to not take anything from Jericho. Matter of fact, he even went so far as says, if anyone ever rebuilds this city, they're going to be a curse. And he said, and any of the gold and materials that, that we plunder from here are not for you. They're for the Lord. They're going to his treasury. So what is something that's a curse? Because in one translation, it says that Achan took devoted things. And then in another part, it says he took accursed things. Let me tell you what it, what it is. It's the same thing. Because it's, when it's given, when those things are given to the Lord, it's devoted. But when you take it for yourself, it's a curse. Come on, someone. And so often, God will bless us so that we can give it back to him and be a blessing to others. But we'll keep it for ourselves, and therefore, it becomes a curse, not a blessing. And this is what happened with Achan. But, friends, what scares me about this is how often does this happen to all of us? Anytime, anytime humans try to take devotion away from God, it becomes sin and a curse. That's why uh, just recently at, at, at youth, actually, this week, Kara got to bring the word, and she was talking about how different people, you know, she was asking the young people to bring an example of maybe someone else, some, that someone else blessed them or whatever. And so she was talking about she was blessed because uh, Jeremy, you know, taught her about the Lord. And I just started thinking about how cool that was because it was um, Jonas, you know, Bailey and Jonas who, who were pastors now in a, a different church and, and have gone on with the ministry. But Jonas brought Jeremy to this church. Jeremy brought Kara and Kara brought Janae. And just like how that blessing, you know, how they received a blessing and so they passed it on to, to others. But then they were saying different things and the kids were just being goofy. And then one, the one kid was like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, of course, I said something smart because I was really close to this kid. And I said, <laughs> don't take the glory, give it to God. <laughs> Poor Jubilee. Um, and so, <laughs> but as I was joking around, and I know she's, she's a sweetheart, she didn't mean anything by it. I said that out loud because I know that's tempting for, for me at times. Be, oh, that was so good, or that was so that. I mean, I mean, I think that's why sometimes I stutter and whatever, because it's not about me. 
don't ever want to be the one to take the glory away from God because then I'm going to be a curse. And we need to be careful. Now, we don't want to be religious about it. Anytime someone gives us a compliment, oh, thank you. God made me that way, <laughs> you know. And, you know, we don't want to be, like, super religious. But in our hearts, the Bible says a man is tested by the praise he receives. In our hearts, when we are lifted up, we need to make sure that we're pointing back to God because it's not about us with your talents, with your finances. Why is it that finances can be such a blessing for the kingdom, but it also the Bible says that the rich, it's harder for them to enter heaven than for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Why is the Bible say that, that uh, you can't serve both God and money? Because it's very tempting to allow that blessing in your life to become a God in your life. And, we ha- and that's with talent, it's with ability, it's with accolades, it's with finances. And so we have to make sure that we are not robbing God of his glory. That when, when, when people see anything good in us, that we have to remind ourselves and sometimes out loud remind others that it's God, not us. Amen? And so Achan robbed God of his glory. But you know what the Bible says? In Malachi 3.8, it says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. I know it's not popular to, to preach this scripture anymore. As a matter of fact, some, uh, some even big famous little pastors who are already rich <laughs> want to say, oh, I don't believe in the tithes and the offerings and, you know, this and that anymore. However, it's also not popular to preach against sin. And if we don't acknowledge sin in our camp, if we don't acknowledge sin in our own hearts, we're going to be kept from the presence of God. Because the one of the greatest things that, that, that sin does is it separates you from his presence. Because God cannot be in the presence of sin because God is holy. And that's why he sent Jesus to, to help us. Because sin separates us from God. And I don't want to have a curse things in my life separate me from his presence. And so when I'm worshiping and you might see me passionate and maybe think I'm a little extra, it's because I know what's in my heart and I know I need to get right. I know I need to pray. I know I need to search my heart on the daily and ask him, forgive me for that attitude, that attitude too, Lord, and that attitude. The attitude I forgot about last week and the attitude on the way here, forgive me. Right? We got to get to this place that we don't want to hold on to any accursed thing. And we don't want to steal any glory from God. So I'm going to ask you to take some time and pray. What, what sin is accursed in your life? What thing has robbed God of his glory? Maybe you've been ashamed to, to share the gospel with other people because you don't want to get made fun of. That could be an accursed thing in your life. Maybe you trust God with your life, but you don't trust God with your pocketbook. That could be an accursed thing with your life. And I know we have a lot of generous people in here. But there's a lot of people that do need to probably step it up in that area too. And it's not, it's not about money. It's about motive. It's about trusting God with everything. Amen? And so sin, it arrives right after victory. Trouble, man. <laughs> the trouble with sin is it arrives right after a victory. The trouble with sin is it's attractive. It looks good. It's enticing. The trouble with sin is we don't realize it's actually accursed. It, it, it robs God of his glory. And this last and final point, which I think is the best point on, on this whole message, is sin affects the entire community. 
the entire community. So we already read um, most of Joshua 7. But do you know what happened to Achan? Listen to verse 22 and 26. I want to read this passage. I know it's weighty and, and I need reading glasses up here, but bear with me as we read this, okay? It says, so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent, the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the children of Israel and laid them before the Lord. And Joshua and Israel with him took Achan and the silver and the garments and, and the wages of, uh, wedges of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all he had. They brought them to the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of the place had been called the Valley of Acre to this day. The trouble with sin. I want to get on this for a moment because what happens is oftentimes you hear people say, well, I didn't murder anybody when you try to, you know, keep them accountable with a sin issue in their life. It, it didn't really hurt anyone else. It's just, this is my issue. It's not hurting anyone else. Sin affects not just you, but other people too. In a Western culture, we have such a high value on being individuals that we forget about community, about family, about generational curses that pass on to our children. We forget that our sin never just affects only us. It does affect us, but it affects those, especially the closest to us. We forget that if we don't master this sin in our life, that it would not only master us, but master our children. The, the, what you tolerate, the sin you tolerate in your life, will, it may master the ones coming up underneath you. Maybe you tolerate it, just a little bit of wine, just a little bit of alcohol. If you don't be on guard, it can become uh, your children can become alcoholics. Maybe you tolerate it just a little bit of lust in your life. If you're not on guard, it can destroy your marriage and therefore destroy your children. Why, do we, why is there even counseling? Why do, why do we need therapists? Right? Why am I studying therapy right now? Usually, you're helping somebody that's working through their own childhood trauma because their parents' sin affected them or someone else's affected them. And we have to stop being so individual that we forget God didn't make us in isolation. He put us in families. and He put us in churches. And your sin is affecting those around you. And my sin is affecting those around me. Achan's sin didn't just hurt him. It harmed the entire community. It said in, in earlier in this passage that 36 men who went to Ai died in war after having victory after victory. The Israelites lost the battle, and Achan's sin not only killed him, but his entire family. Anytime anyone says, this is just my problem, they're deceiving themselves. Sin affects everyone around you. Look at the alcoholic. Look at the person who commits adultery. You know, studying right now, uh, because of divorce rate, how high it is in our country, people have made it like, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal anymore, and, and 
but yet children still as adults are going, having to, to, to fight through rejection. There's a whole study called attachment theory that goes back to how you attach to your parents when you were younger. And when there's a divorce in there, I'm telling you, it causes anxiety, it causes depression. This is studies. This is not even godly studies. This is just psychology showing that sin affects everyone that you're around. That's why we have to be so careful to stay clear of the trouble of sin. The, the, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one part of the body suffers, all parts suffer with it. This is what sin does to the body. And some of us might be thinking in this solemn moment, man, that was a little harsh. God had to destroy the whole family, like the sheep, the goats, like the, you know, us animal lovers, like, come on now. <laughs> when Adam and Eve sinned, it, just, it, it not only affected them, cast them from the presence of God, but that sin was passed down through DNA. It's called the doctrine of original sin. To every single person, we are now born with a sinful nature. Not only did it affect them and it affect the way that they were supposed to co-rule together, but it affects the longings of, of the woman to rule over her husband, but to be ruled over by her husband, pain and childbirth. Thanks, Eve. At least I was born in the time of epidurals. That's all I got to say. <laughs> or my children were anyway. Um, but yet there, there's consequences. And Adam having this, this, the work, it used to be man, drop some seeds in the ground, boom, there they are. There's all the food you need. That's how I imagine it in the Garden of Eden. But sin even caused consequences in the earth, our planet, thorns and thistles. And, and, and before, I mean, even with the animal kingdom, this is how bad and how deeply sin is a disease. It is worse than cancer. And we have got to be on guard against it because it will affect everybody. So as we sit there and think, wow, that was harsh of God. Why was God in the Old Testament so mean and so harsh? We don't know because why God chose to do this other than the scripture says that it's the, these accounts are set as an example for us. But we do know that God is sovereign, that he is almighty, that he's all-knowing. Some scholars believe that his family actually helped him carry away the plunder. We don't know that for sure, but what we do know is that we have to choose to trust God and that we have to know that our sin, look at ourselves, our sins affect our children, our spouses, our jobs, our church, our country. And we have to realize that, that even so, this, this demonstration of this man and his family, God did give him time, a whole day before to come and confess. But you know what Achan did? He waited till he got caught because that's another trouble with sin. We like to try to get away with it. And we don't want to fess up until we're caught. That's not true confession, friends. True confess confession is when we feel convicted. When we know we did wrong and we choose to repent, we choose to ask God to forgive us. We choose to ask for forgiveness. And this is the thing. When we confess our sins, the scripture says if, in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9. But if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us all of our unrighteousness. There is a solution to sin, and it's atonement, the atonement that we get in Christ Jesus, that Jesus Christ took all the sin, 
of the world on himself on the cross for us. That at that time, he even said, Father, why do you forsake me? Because God had to look away because the sin of the world was on Christ and because God cannot be in the presence of sin. And then Jesus didn't just die on the cross for our sins, but he had victory over death. On the third day, rose again to give us power, to give us power to say no to ungodliness through Christ Jesus. It is a balance of grace and learning to say no to sin and live in holy. Would you close your eyes for a moment? Bow your heads. If we could put some music on, that would be great. The problem with sin is sin is trouble. It is trouble, and we need to stay away from it. And we need to be so careful about the people that we surround ourselves with because their sin affects us too. That's why it's so important, young people, to pick your friends wisely. It's so important. Husbands and wives and, 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 and parents in this place, it's so important to set that example. And when we mess up, to, to actually humble ourselves. We're no better. Father God, I pray for us in this place today, Lord. I pray that you would convict us, Lord God, of sin that we have hidden in our camp like Achan. We've tried to hide sin from you. But God, your word says whatever is hidden in the secret place, you will, you will announce with trumpets, Lord. And so God, I pray that you would show us right now that we wouldn't get caught, but God, that you would convict us so that we can confess our sins before you. If you're in this place and you know that there's some sins you need to confess before the Lord, would you just, in a sign of confession, raise your hand before the Lord? Raise your hand before the Lord. I'm gonna take, I, I want you to just take a moment for you quietly. It's not about me laying hands on you and praying for you. This is about you and God. Will you take some time right now and just quietly before the Lord, just confess those sins. God, for, forgive me for lying, for cheating, for looking at pornography, whatever it is that, that you know that you've done. For giving into anger and rage. For cursing, for cussing, Lord God, forgive me. For being lazy, being apathetic, Lord. God, I pray that you would cleanse us. God, any sin that's in our camp, that we would take some time, Lord God, and we would truly repent. God, that if we've ever robbed you from glory, not being obedient to your promptings, whether that's to give, Lord God, or if that's to serve, Lord Jesus, if that's to encourage, God, forgive us for the sins of omission and the sins of commission, Lord God, for, for what we have done that we shouldn't have done and what we didn't do that we should have done. God, forgive us. God, I pray if there's people in here today that just feels discouraged by this word, Lord God, that you would show them it's not by their might, it's not by their strength, but it's by the spirit of the Lord. Like my classmate said, it's not about being perfect because there's only one Jesus. It's about the grace of God. And the grace of God not only gives us unmerited favor, but it also helps us say no to ungodliness. God, we need more of your grace so that we can say no to the sin that's crouching at our door. Give us more grace, God. We claim the blood of Jesus. We claim the blood of Jesus, God, that we could say no. But God, I pray you would make us aware of the sin that's in our own hearts, Lord, that we would repent. And repentance means a change of heart, change of mind, and a change of direction. Help us focus our eyes back on you, the author, perfecter of our faith. For you are good.
Jesus' name. God's people said, amen, amen. Okay, I want to challenge you guys. I'm going to dismiss you here in a moment, but I want to challenge you guys because <laughs> when, we, uh, when we receive a word that, that is hammer <laughs> and, and, and hard, it's, it's, it's easy just to be like, man, you know, discourage and not take it and think upon it a little bit more. I want every single person who is serious about getting sent out of their heart, their camp, to take some time this week, maybe even today, and journal. Ask the Lord, show me the top two things. We don't need a whole list. The top two sins in my life that I've hidden, that I've, I've, I've not been aware of, that you want me to get rid of. I don't want to dig a hole in my, in, my, in my life and try to hide it underneath the earth. I want to expose it. If you don't embarrass sin, sin will embarrass you. And so ask the Lord, show me what those two things are, and then I want you to find an accountability partner. Okay? Write it down in your journal, in your Bible, then find an accountability partner and say, you know what? If it's, if it's a dude and you're like, man, or a girl, I'm, I've been looking at some stuff on the Internet I shouldn't be looking at. Find an accountability partner and, and, and confess that. It's embarrassing. But if you don't embarrass sin, sin will embarrass you. If it's a lady or, or, or whoever and you've been struggling with, maybe it's been anger, maybe it's been despising, you know, hating somebody. Confess that to another person, another, if a lady, a lady, a guy, a guy is what I, I encourage you to do. Okay, find an accountability partner. It will help you. It will help you battle that. Don't hide it. Amen. I love you guys. Pastor Josh going to preach a nice word next week. So come on back. I promise. <laughs>